Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next 30 minutes, I would like to invite you to stay with me. It'll be 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, and education. And we will do it with no manipulation, which means we won't try to con you. We won't try to sell you anything. There's nothing for you to join. It's just simply 30 minutes of accurate information. And that information is designed to help you become aware of God's plan, to help you see it, understand it, how you can see it in your own life. And if you want to orient and adjust to the plan, then you have the freedom, you have the privacy to do that. My job is to verify and identify that plan. Your job, if you want to take it, is orient and adjust to the plan. You know, the flight line comes every Sunday morning, same time here on this local radio station. I'd like to personally thank you for giving me your time. I know it's valuable. So thank you for taking a few moments to listen to the teaching of the Word of God. If you ever have a question, you can always feel free to contact me by means of the Internet at rickhughesministries.org. And uh, we'll always answer your emails. You can go to our website, rickhughesministries.org. Or if you want to send us a letter, you can do that at P.O. Box 100 in the city of Cropwell, Alabama. P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama. 35054 is our zip code. 35054. We're not asking you to send money. That's not the idea. What I'm saying is, if you have a question, if you have something you'd like answered, I'm not a counselor. I'm just a Bible teacher. But if you have a question, we'll be sure to try to answer that question. If you're encouraged by the radio show, if the Lord is using the show to encourage you in your life, I would love to hear from you. It's always a great, great encouragement to me when folks write in and say, I learned a lot or or the show really helped me in some area. That's always my prayer. I do this show for one reason, and that reason is because I want to lift up Christ to our nation, yes, but I also want to discover who out there listening has positive volition. By that, I mean who is hungry to grow, who wants to learn the protocol plan of God so that they can give maximum glorification to God throughout all of their life. I find that sort of person hard to come by. I find a lot of people who are Christians. I find a lot of people who dabble in the Bible to some degree. But I don't find many people that really are hungry to study God's Word on a daily basis. And I do personally believe that if you want to be a mature believer, it's going to take more than just a couple of hours a week of going to church or going to prayer meeting or whatever. I believe it takes... Number one, the filling of the Holy Spirit, for you to stay filled with the Holy Spirit consistently. And that's why we have problem-solving device number one on the flat line of your soul. That's how to recover the filling of the Holy Spirit through the use of rebound or 1 John 1, 9. And then number two, it takes the consistent learning and the consistent application of the Word of God into your life so that you begin to think differently. You begin to think in the realm of spiritual dynamics, not human dynamics. You have a new frame of reference. Your memory center begins to be absorbed with 
with the Word of God, you learn new things. You think divine viewpoint, not human viewpoint. And that's what we're looking for, people that are that hungry, people that say, I am so hungry to learn God's Word, and I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. And by listening to your radio show, I find that you are teaching me something. I'm encouraged, and that's what I want. But remember, I'm not a pastor. It's not my job to teach you every day. I have a lot of radio shows, and we can offer those to you, but my job is always to point you to the pastor, to point you where there is that qualified man who studies and teaches God's Word on a consistent basis. And if you get under his authority and listen to the teaching of the Word of God by that man, then you will grow to spiritual maturity. That's what I'm here for, hoping and praying to meet those individuals just like you who have such a great hunger for God's Word. Some of you have been so kind and even so generous to encourage us on this radio show, and I thank you so very much. We started studying on our last uh, time together a biblical principle called reversionism. Reversionism is the study of why Christians get out of fellowship with God and never recover. Remember this, that you are in the royal family of God. You do have membership in God's family. So as far as a relationship goes, you won't lose that. You don't lose the relationship with God when you sin. But as far as fellowship goes, it is entirely possible that even though you're in a relationship with God the Father through faith alone in Christ alone, that you're not in fellowship with the Father because of unconfessed sin in your life. And if you're out of fellowship with the Father, this leads you down the road to reversionism. When you sin, the Bible says you are carnal. And when you are filled with the Spirit, the Bible says you're spiritual. These are not gray areas. They're black and white. As you're listening to me and as I'm speaking to you, right now I'm either carnal or spiritual. There's no in-between. Now, in regards to getting out of fellowship, when you sin, whether it's something you think, something you say, or something you do, when you get out of fellowship, it's immediate. And if you want to recover, you can recover immediately. You can immediately confess your sin. I'll give you a prime example. Uh, traffic, driving, horrific driving conditions. I was recently in the city of Houston, Texas, where I was accosted daily at traffic. I mean, you better be alert and you better be ready because them folks are in a hurry. And uh, it's very easy to get out of fellowship with God or get angry or frustrated at some driver that zips in front of you and cuts you off in traffic, especially if everybody's going about 70 down the interstate and there's only enough room between you and the car in front of you for you to stop quickly if you needed to and some guy shoves an 18-wheeler in there. And so you, you have a tendency to react to those sort of things. Well, when I get angry, when I get mad, and I do, then I confess my sin to God. I don't have to pull over to the side of the road. I don't have to go to the rest stop. I can just admit my sin even while I'm driving. And God says he's faithful and just to forgive us. And that's the thing about admitting your sin and recovering your fellowship with God. You don't have to go to a church to do it. You don't have to confess it to a priest. You simply go to God the Father because you are priest. You are a believer priest. 
the veil was torn in the tabernacle from, from the top to the bottom. God removed that inner sanctuary. You are the priest. The Bible says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And you can go before the Father because you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you. And you can confess your own sin without having to tell anyone else about it. And when you name your sin, that restores you to fellowship. If you don't name your sin, if you continue to ignore it and commit sin upon sin, then you can get into reversionism, into perpetual carnality. Once that perpetual carnality hits you, you've heard me call it a slippery slope, but you begin to go backwards. You lose control of your life. You begin to break apart, and you can't stop the vicious cycles of emotional distraught that tear you apart because when you get out of fellowship with God, you start living under emotional revolt. You start letting your emotions control your life. And you know the Bible says don't do that. The Bible says let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible clearly says stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance beyond what you should think, but think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is, the Bible says. So you're a, you're a product of what you think. And that's where if you let your emotions take control of your life, you will quit thinking and you'll start reacting. If you think, then you'll respond. You'll respond to pressure situations with divine viewpoint or you'll respond to your sin by confessing it. But if you don't think, if you let your emotions get in control, then nine out of ten times you'll get arrogant and justify why you're doing what you're doing. And you'll begin to convince yourself that you're not really sinning or you will ignore it altogether. So under this sort of reversionism, the emotional revolt of the soul sets up. I want you to remember this, okay? God did not design your emotions to control your life. He didn't design emotions to create policy in your life. God gave you emotions as a genuine, bona fide appreciator of the soul. And there are things that I get emotional about. I'm sure you do as well. And when we see something beautiful, our emotions kick in. If we hear something beautiful, our emotions kick in. It's perfectly wonderful to have an emotional response to the singing of the Star-Spangled Banner, for example, if you're a patriotic American. It's perfectly normal to have an emotional response to a beautiful sunset on the beach if you enjoy that sort of thing. So emotions are fine, but here's where you have to be very, very careful. Worship, worship of God is not an emotional experience. It is thinking and appreciating what God has done for you. Worship involves two things, your mentality and your appreciation. Mentality and appreciation. But if you let emotions dominate you in worship or in any other part of your life, you'll become irrational. And the reason is because emotions do not have content. Emotions don't think. Emotions have no rationality. Emotions have no virtue. It's just an emotional feeling that God gave you 
that was designed for one thing only, and that was to appreciate. God doesn't get emotional. A lot of people think this about God. A lot of people think God gets emotional, that if you do good things, that he's giving you sort of a cheerleader thing. All right, rah, rah, go, kid, go. That's not the way God operates. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God does appreciate, as our Heavenly Father, he does appreciate our efforts to glorify him. I'm positive about that. But he doesn't get emotional. And so I know you're hearing right now, I'm saying, well, Jesus wept. Yes, he did. But he never made decisions based on his emotion that dictated the policy or the outcome of his life. You say, when you get into emotional revolt of the soul, such as, for example, Peter did when the Lord said, you're going to deny me in the garden that night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And his emotions took over. He became afraid when he was questioned after he had snuck in to where Jesus was being held. He became afraid and he denied three times that he knew Jesus Christ. So fear is a sign of emotional control. If you're afraid, it's a sign that your emotions are controlling you. When you have emotional control of the soul, you go from reality to irrationality. That's what happens because you combine your own arrogance with your emotions. And eventually, eventually, if you don't stop it, if you don't correct it, Emotional control of the soul will lead you to be mentally ill. I mean, you'll become a psychotic believer. You won't think rashly. This is not the way God intended for you to live. This is not the way God ordained it. The emotions are wonderful and fine, but they're not to control your life. You can't live by emotional control. You can't get mad every time you feel like it. You can't get full of bitterness every time something doesn't go right. You can't react to situations with anger. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's emotional control. Now, if all your biblical priorities are gone, and if you have no divine norms and standards in your life, then you're going to begin to react to the truth as well. See, this is what happens. When you get out of fellowship with God, when you move under emotional revolt of the soul, you will react to hearing the truth. You don't want to hear it. You don't want anybody to be telling you what's going on in your life. You want everybody to keep their nose out of your business. And consequently, you have permanent negative volition. Permanent negative volition. That means you're in a perpetual carnality. When that happens, according to Ephesians 4, 17, through 19, you begin to form scar tissue on your soul. Scar tissue on your soul. This is a hardening of your heart. This is when your heart begins to be unresponsive to conviction by God. This is when you begin to barrel down the my way highway as fast as you can go. The technical term for blackout of the soul is given in Ephesians 4.17, and uh, we've been through this passage before. Paul mentions this. I want to remind you of it. He said, I testify in the Lord, I warn you, don't live like the Gentiles live in the vanity of their mind. 
And the word vanity is an interesting Greek word. I call it the vacuum. It's the Greek word mataiotes. Mataiotes. M-A-T-A-I-O-T-E-S. Mataiotes. And it's a vacuum that sucks things in. It absorbs the wrong thing. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demonism. When the mind begins to suck in the wrong thing, it's like a vacuum cleaner. My wife has one of those things that breaks all the time, so I have to fix it, but it sucks up the dirt off the floor. Then you have to empty the dirt out. See, that's what happens to your mind, except the dirt doesn't get emptied out. The vacuum sucks it all in. This process subjects you to demon influence. No Christian can ever be demon-possessed. That's impossible. You are possessed by God the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed, Ephesians 1.13, until the day of redemption. But you can be, without a doubt, demon-influenced by evil doctrine, by responding to human viewpoint thinking, by getting under the doctrine of demons as the Bible teaches. They're always out there, human good, evil. Evil is the genius of Satan. Evil is the idea that you can change the world, that you uh, hear something evil, that you can elect a politician and he'll make everything right. It'll never happen. It can't happen. I mean, there are some politicians I'd like to elect, but the Bible says, cursed is the man that trusteth in man. No man is the answer to the solution for what we face in America today. The solution is your spiritual life, because as goes you, so goes the nation. You're the pivot. You're part of the process. You're part of that core group of mature believers in the nation that sustains us and delivers us. So if you don't understand these things, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're under demon influence or you're being, you're being influenced by some evil system, the end result is what you think is going to be wrong and you're going to live by your emotions. We're not here to clean up the devil's world. We're here to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that by replicating his lifestyle. We begin to think like he thought. That's how it starts. When the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, it means you've got to think like he thought. And he didn't think in terms of revenge, motivation, and bitterness, and anger, and antagonism. That's not how he thought. And that doesn't give you a license to think that way either. So, when you begin to be infiltrated with human viewpoint thinking, when you begin to be infiltrated with the evil doctrines that Satan comes up with, This results in the scarring of your soul, the blackout of your soul. The lights go out inside of you because nothing is clear anymore. It's the result of any believer who gets out of fellowship with God and gets into temporal carnality and does not confess the sin, moves into perpetual carnality, and their thinking begins to change. Their rate of forgetting It seeds the rate of learning, and the soul blacks out. The Bible uses the term. I'm going to give it to you now. Paul said, 
Their understanding is darkened. Ephesians 1, 4, 17, 18, and 19. Don't live like the Gentiles live in the vanity of their mind. Their understanding is darkened. When you put things in your mind that don't belong there, it scars up your soul. Your soul gets hard, hardened. The word understanding darkened is skotizo, S-K-O-T-I-Z-O. And skotizo means you're walking around in a room without a light. I can think of nothing worse than to blindly stumble through life without light, without having any direction, without knowing which way to go, lost in the sea of darkness in your life. That's what happens when Christians move away from the Word of God, when they justify why they don't need it, when they sin and don't rebound and confess their sin and get into perpetual carnality, they begin to walk in the darkness. That means all of the norms and standards that they learned in the past, don't do this and don't do that. Your parents probably taught it to you and your pastor taught it to you, but now you canned all that. You know you're not supposed to do certain things, but you justify why it's okay. Now, you're grown up. You're saying, oh, well, you know, the Bible, I, I, I love God, I believe God, but I also love this person. And we love each other. Why, why is that so wrong if we love each other? Norms and standards are the first thing to go. Those norms and standards that your parents gave you when you were young, they were designed to keep you from imploding, from self-destructing. And they are the very things that Satan will seek to make us forget. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that no advantage should be taken of us by Satan because we're not ignorant of his devices. One of the ways that he works is psychological warfare. He wants to play with your mind. He wants to get you to doubt God, to doubt the Word of God. So he will introduce you to all sorts of people that you would like to be around, people that represent success and, and money and all sorts of the things you want in life. And if you're a Christian and, and you talk about the Bible and you believe the Bible, well, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to put you down. They're not going to want you around. And so you compromise just so you can be in their clique. That's ridiculous. You've got to be aware of the devices that Satan uses, psychological warfare, social intimidation, anything to get you to put away those norms and standards of biblical resources that you have from the time you were a kid. Ephesians says we should put on a full armor of God so that we'd be able to stand against the strategy of Satan. Paul says don't give place to the devil. Peter said Satan roams around like a roaring lion. So his strategy is pretty significant. His strategy toward the human race is to corrupt your volition, to get to you, to get to you to, number one, if, if, if you hear the gospel, a person that's not a Christian, his strategy would be to corrupt their volition at the point of the gospel. He's, he did this in the garden. He corrupted the volition of Adam and Eve. 
God told them, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did it. They corrupted their volition. They went against what God said because they believed the lie that the serpent told them. This is what he will do with you. He will lie to you. He will want you to corrupt your volition in regards to the gospel. And so if that's true, he will try his very best to obscure the content of the gospel so that it doesn't say faith alone in Christ alone. He wants you to believe that in order for you to be a Christian, you have to stop all them bad sins. Yes, you can't do this anymore and you can't do that anymore and you've got to accept Christ as your Savior and you've got to quit eating butter beans and quit drinking Pepsi-Colas. He adds stuff to it. He tries to make it complicated when it's not complicated at all. Paul the Apostle told the Roman jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Satan will establish a system of religion, religious rules, religious legalism, and there the works of religion will replace the function of grace. You're not spiritual because you tithe. You're not spiritual because you read your Sunday school lesson. You're not spiritual because you sing in the choir. You're spiritual if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then nine out of ten times you're probably operating under the energy of the flesh, trying to do a right thing, but doing it in the wrong way. Yes, Satan will attack your volition. He wants to tempt you to object, to reject the Word of God, to make it sound unimportant. And he will introduce all the strange doctrines the false doctrines, the different doctrines, to distract you and neutralize you. Because if he can neutralize you in reversionism, then you're done for. You're hindered from ever executing the plan of God. And this causes the blackout of the soul. Here it is, having the understanding darkened. That's the satanic smokescreen that blacks out your soul being alienated from the plan of God by means of ignorance, which is in them. That's quoting Paul now, and here it comes, from the hardness of their heart. The hardness of their heart. This is what emotionalism will do to you. Once you get into reversionism, your heart gets hard. That word, hardness of the heart, is porosis in the Greek New Testament, P-O-R-O, S-I-S, porosis, it's the word for callousness. Your heart gets calloused. You no longer feel remorse. You no longer feel conviction. You no longer sense that you're out of the plan of God. Your heart gets hard. Proverbs says in 28.14, he who hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. In Hebrews 3.8, the Bible says, harden not your heart. Scar tissue, the blackout of the soul, your heart hard. You're into reversionism, into emotional revolt, and you're done for. You are a casualty in the plan of God. It's up to you. My job is just to give you the facts. Your job is to put it together. Until next week, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Flotline.
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.